We're back with the Australian Athletic Podcast for episode nine, and today we have a Q&A talking all things sport. We've got Adam in the building. Good morning. And Jazz. Good morning. Along with myself, Mickey, and guys, we're going through a little bit of a Q&A, pretty much all things related to sport. We've got EPL, we've got AFL, we've got a little bit in between of that too. First one though, what are your thoughts on volume training in young athletes in Australia? Are they doing enough? Depends on what you mean, but I mean, I think kids aren't playing enough. I don't think they need more sporting volume. I think they need more like day-to-day playing, hanging out, doing stuff kind of thing. I think as the weather improves, I'm seeing definitely way more kids out, obviously, that's obvious, but um, I think we we kind of over-categorize towards sport and I'd be happy. I think kids would be good. They'd be plenty well looked after if they were just out in the park kicking the footy, doing things like that. They don't necessarily need to be at the club more often or training more often per se. They could just be playing more often. Mia Lundqvist shared a post, uh, I think it was about a week ago or so, where it's not necessarily we need to do more sport. We need to focus on a sport or two, not necessarily early specialization in them, but focus on them too for a period of time and then maybe change up the sports. And in between all that, you can just do random bits of activity. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think me as a joke, particularly with kids, I think like, so Gaz and I have talked about this a lot. Like what, what could you do in a sporting, what group of sports could you give one of our children was the, the lens of the conversation to turn, give them the best chance of being a fully rounded athlete. And I know you've thought about this a lot as well. Yeah, I'm always a big fan of sampling. And it's like, okay, what could they, you know, gymnastics, track and field, footy, what's the perfect set of things? And I don't think there's one answer to put that out there to start with, but what's the perfect set of sports that would then prepare them spatially, coordinatively, all the many skills that make up a well-rounded body athlete, all of those things. So... I think having them sample, like Mia said, in terms of do this and then move on and do this and then move on, obviously with enough time to actually experience it, but you could really develop a lot of skills that way. I don't, I don't think it's like what sports they play that matter the most. I think what they go out and do outside of set training and set games matters. Like when you're out with your friends, you get to slow down the game, you get to be more creative. It's just a bit less intensive and more creative. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll never think of it like that. It's just play. They get to practice and just do whatever they want without pressure. And I think that slowing down that environment help, really helps with the learning process, especially with pulling off new skills or yep. new, like being confident in a game. That, sure. I think that is a that, lot more valuable than different sport, different sport, different sport. I think the pace and how they can control it matters yeah, a lot more. That's a good point. Adam, you mentioned spatial awareness and the thing that I love for that is gymnastics. I yeah. think programs such as kinder gym and getting your child involved early in a sport where they're get taught how to project their own body weight through space mm-hmm. and also learn how to take a fall yeah. is so, so, so important. Look at dance for that. Like, yeah. How many athletes do you see? They, they often tend to be female, but I've seen guys come out of ballet and the most talented track athlete I ever saw in the junior setup was a former ballet dancer. And that kid could coordinate his body in a way that I've never seen another male do ever. Do you remember that show, So You Think You Can Dance? Yeah. yeah. You remember the hops on some of those guys and yeah, girls? Yeah, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, athletic. We had. Sorry, you go. Um, if you look at any of, especially some of the girls in here who do have a history of dance or ballet or anything like that, they pick up anything, anything body weight, sprint drills, they pick it up so crazy. Yeah. If you look at Ash, Crystal, Desi, they're unreal at sprint drills. And they're all they know, strong as shit. Yeah, too. they know how to use their body. They don't. Yeah. They pick up cues because there's no room for variability in 
choreography. You do how what you need to do, yep. and you have to do it the right way. Otherwise, you, you I, Eric Cressy put up something the other day about um, someone asked him about why the farm boys are so good, and he was saying farm work is task oriented, not time oriented. So rather than I'm here for an hour and then I'm done, no, you're here until all them hay bales are moved, boy, and then you're done when you're done. And he was saying the focus it comes from that. What I like about dance is the detail orientation. You look at baseballers as well. It's like, this is exactly what we're looking for. And until it is like that 100 out of 100, you're not yeah. doing it well enough. And Good. you look at say Ash yeah. and the background. Now, sometimes it's, it's over the top. Yeah, but a lot of those athletes, they're, they're set on, no, not good, not good. You ask them, you say, that's brilliant. No, terrible. But the detail orientation does have benefits. Yeah. Is then introducing like powerlifting, lesser extent Olympic lifting too early on, potentially detrimental? Powerlifting, yeah. absolutely yes. Olympic lifting, absolutely no. For, yeah. my, for me, that's only opinion. I know people who will disagree with that, but I think... I have heard this line before, not for myself. This is not mine, so don't take a dig at me. Powerlifters are uncoordinated Olympic lifters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to disagree with that. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll admit my bias. I love weight. I love weightlifting. That's why I like to use it. But I think there's so much mobility and movement coordination and gain out of it, which you don't get in powerlifting. You squat, bench, deadlift. You're stuck in one plane, trying to move heavy weight. That's why you see big muscle-bound athletes, not those sort of springy like cat-like athletes i think yeah i, I can you articulated it way better than i managed to <laughs> by laughing but i think if you look at a powerlifter, your sport always dictates the way you look if you watch the olympics every athlete in every event basically looks the same as the other people in the final of that event and olympic lifters look like athletes and power lifters do not yep. who would you rather look like ray williams or lu Jin? i would give my left leg to look like lu Jin. I would, <laughs> or one of his legs, which is probably the size one of, of his whole legs body. is the size of me. <laughs> Bruh. Uh, but so in summary on that question, no, they're probably not doing enough. They need to focus on a few sports. Like young athletes, oh, they're robust. Let's they can them. handle a lot of volume. Let's just get them outside. You know, like I, I love what Nath Parnham wrote in his book. Like, let's if if all they're doing is organized sport, and especially in academies, we're kind of missing the boat because that's not play. That's not kids being kids. That's kids being athletes. And when they're nine, they don't need to be athletes. They just it's need to play, man. Establish habits where they value health, where they value physical activity, and make oh, get them to enjoy. Don't make them. Don't force them yeah, to do anything. Enjoying it's massive. But adults as well. Yeah. You gotta enjoy your mode of activity, whatever you're doing. If you they hate it at an early age, what are the chances that they're gonna want to do it during their teens, during their adulthood? And you're just set up to have adults grow up to be unhealthy and who don't want physical activity and that just keeps trickling down exactly yeah i think a part of even as an athlete is develop still developing and maintaining a long-term healthy like relationship with exercise yeah we'll move on to the next question no sorry did you want to say i have one point on that but i'll run way over time so we'll address that in another podcast we've got plenty of them coming up but this one is recent from the weekend in the afl and we put up a poll yesterday i've got to admit i was surprised by the results Toby Green suspension for bumping the umpire. I didn't say, so what, what did he end up getting? Was it three, three weeks? Three weeks. So for those unaware, it was after the siren, GWS had already won. You can call it a little bit of a just bump, but you could tell that it was very, very intentional. Uh, he, he got three weeks for it, which means that he's going to miss this week. If they win, he's going to miss the prelim. And if they win that, he's going to miss the grand final. I haven't, I haven't paid too much attention to it, but from the bump I saw, it didn't look like anything but if it is intentional to 
especially to an official. It, it, it's a soft bump, and if you did it to another player, no one would bat an eyelid. The problem is he didn't do it to another player, and you have to protect the umpires. And like Northy actually had the best take I've seen on this last night. He goes, "That's the AFL, and Toby Green's a very visible figure within the AFL." You can't be bumping umpires because now what happens in the under-15s at a local level and you're going to have grassroots-level umpires getting bumped by players and like it or not, I've I've defended players in the past by saying they shouldn't be expected to be role models because they're athletes, not role models. But they are visible. Kids are looking to them. We see it here all the time. Kids are copying the behaviours they see from players at that level. You cannot set the precedent at that level or in any other filter-down level where players can bump umpires or make contact with umpires deliberately. They're protected for a reason because that goes real ugly places real fast when you start allowing deliberate yeah. com- contact between players and umpires. Where, where to next? If that's allowed, then what's not allowed? Well, then can sense. you square up to him? Yeah. You know, like, because that's, for me, the logical conclusion of an aggressive bump, and it wasn't particularly aggressive, but it becomes more aggressive and then a bump leads to a square off you're going to square up to an umpire? Then where's it go? I think it shows a lack of maturity in his part. They had won the game. They had made it to the semifinal. They had won. It was after the siren. That's, that's he nice. should be celebrating, not thinking, oh, the umpire's giving us a hard time today. He can do it. Yeah. Like, do you guys think more more weeks on the punishment? Nah. Honestly, no. I think that was fair. If they challenged it, yes, more weeks. And by the way, Reese has just entered the building. He's being very quiet, but he's entered the room, so he's going to get involved in it. Say hello to everyone. Hi, guys. So will he miss the rest of the finals now? It's done. Even if they play I in the that, I, think, I think that's a good punishment then. Like, it's, I think three weeks is fair. I mean, I, I get where people are coming from when they say it's soft and that, but like I said, it's the precedent. It's where it leads. You have to protect the officials. You have to protect the umpires, man. Like, they're, doing a, they're doing a shit enough job in terms of how difficult that job is at the best of times before we start allowing players to bump them and wherever that goes after that. Everyone hates umpires, but they're a necessary evil. <laughs> <laughs> no they, shit. They cop enough verbal abuse, let alone adding physical onto that as well. Yeah, at the end of there's, the day. What I find really interesting is there's a lot of people coming out and talking from Toby Green's point of view and giving all kinds of reasons. I haven't yet, I'm not saying it's not out there, I just haven't seen it. Someone come out and speak from the umpire's point of view. They're actually telling them not to. Yeah. Uh, the AFL have told him not to, which is fair. You know what? The umpire shouldn't have to justify it. Exactly. Look, I, I get that I'm biased in this debate because I think Toby Green's got a proven track record of acting like a knob. What's but, it? Oh, that's an understatement. Like, I, I don't understand how many times you can continue to be a dickhead before you get punished for it. Like, What has he paid? I have no idea. I wouldn't have a foggy. Let's... Lots. A half a million. Let's Reason just say that. Yet. That's $10,000 that week. For ten thousand dollars, I'll just shut my mouth and just go. Yep, I've won. See you later. <laughs> That's not bad. Yeah, yeah. But hey, too bad for him. Next up, we're back on injuries now, and we're going to talk about the uh, injury list on the Premier League that just got released. Where to get released from? Uh, injury mechanisms on Twitter. On Handle Twitter. is at i me- letter i mechanisms. Really, really great page that we've gone been going over this morning. So it's pretty much listed out every single team, every single current injured player, and the uh, diagnosis with what they've had and like estimated times that they're looking to return. Boys, have we seen any trends? Not really. No. I mean, not nothing that's massively aside from COVID. Nothing that you wouldn't expect out of playing soccer. I actually, it's better than I would have expected at this point in the season. I think for a league that's often a league and a sport that's often smashed by 
certain corners of the strength and conditioning community about injuries and bad S and C and stuff. I'm looking at it thinking most of these teams are doing a pretty good job because I'll start with Arsenal because they're top of the list and they got a fairly lengthy list that has been publicly dissected in the media. But they've got an ankle sprain, which I believe Thomas Party's ankle sprain came about from a contact. Gabriel has patellar tendonitis and joint swelling, which given the recent end of the last season, I'm pretty sure he was with Brazil at the Copper and now he's back in preseason with Arsenal. He's actually playing again, just in the reserves. And Keddie has got ankle bruising. There's three players with COVID. Hector Bellerin's left, but he had some quad tightness. That's been chronic as well. And Saka's got a corky. So, like, given the schedule that these blokes have to prepare for, the injuries are pretty low. The, the injuries are broadly pretty minor and most of them are overuse which given the schedule that's just unavoidable you've largely. got mainly your soft tissues your groins your hamstrings they're pretty common but after that it's pretty much all ankles a few knees like don't get me wrong there's still those acls around but there's not that many of them really if yeah. any team that you were a part of presented with any injuries would you look at would you could you see any pattern or any find try and find anything in the program that they're doing that would cause any of this because i don't think i could there's nothing to me that stands out where like i remember there was a while ago where gws had a bunch of hamstrings you know what's going on there um the western bulldogs had a bunch of um orthopedic injuries at one point years ago now um essendon had a heap of hamstrings i wonder whether that was tied to the peptides because it was around that time. crows had the same problem as well with hamstrings. crows have normally got about half their list out at the best of times um so that is not a dig at the crows s and c that is just me taking the piss out of the crows um there's nothing really that stands out in this. Looking at it, like, even the teams that have the most sort of muscle stuff, Everton's got the highest I've seen. There's two strains, but then just tightness and discomfort. There's no real teams that are getting wrecked on injuries. I think Crystal Palace have probably been unlucky because they got two Achilles, but two isn't enough to form a trend. And the biggest thing that I can take home from this is there is a few injuries out there and there's a bit of a common theme but you look at the ones the non-existent injuries so there's nothing to do with glutes necessarily there's a few backs going on shoulders are few and far between i think overall the programs when you look at something like this you automatically want to go towards where these injuries occurred but maybe they're actually focusing the program pretty well and that's why we haven't seen even more and a whole list of injuries maybe sport is just really hard and it sucks on the body it's a bit of survivorship uh, bias where we see these glaring injuries and we go oh shit we need to focus just purely on that because that's been getting hurt but what about all those other things that haven't been getting hurt the program's actually not that bad it's about maybe adding a thing or two maybe taking away a thing or two i think what jazz said as well is i think people go health is good we want to be healthy and exercise is healthy and sport is a form of exercise and elite sport is an intense form of sport so then elite sport is therefore healthy which could not be further from the truth because if you look at i got tottenham's one here they got two injuries and both of them are juniors Tottenham have a team full of established internationals, many of whom would have been at the Euros and the Copper. And then they had one of the most intense domestic schedules in the world because they play in the Premier League. Tottenham have two injuries, one a thigh, one a twisted ankle, and both of them are juniors players. That's remarkable. Yeah, that's fantastic. Southampton have two, one of which is an ACL that happened in January, one's a calf strain. And West Ham have one, which is knee discomfort. Man City, with the amount of games they would have played last season, three, three injuries with Kevin De Bruyne as being ongoing, is that's a pretty decent track record. And one of them is a junior as well. So, you know, what some of these teams are preparing for, because every single player in Man City's first team is an established international. And Arsenal's got a few injuries, but almost half of them are COVID. 
literally, that's, and that's not bad. Chelsea's as well. They've got three and two are COVID. One of them's a right shoulder dislocation. So there's nothing you can do to prepare. Chelsea basically have no avoidable injuries with a team that is exclusively internationals. All of them went away except the other ones, like basically the African players who've got AFCON to come and they haven't played it yet. This is about as good as it's going to get. I think anyone who thinks they can re- reduce or like, like almost eliminate injuries is just doesn't know how hard sport is whenever you watch a montage of training videos coming out of chelsea or you hear the um trainer speaking we're not gonna use weights because we don't run with weights on the field or anything like that you have to go down to their injury list and go shit these guys are probably doing a half decent job they might sound a little bit outlandish with their methods but they're overall doing a pretty decent job i've said it a million times i mean we're obviously not criticizing here we're, we're praising people but even if we were even if you do want to criticize something like wolves have got four hamstring injuries here that's probably the closest thing to any particular trend you could pick out but you don't know the circumstances you don't know what these players these players are all from different parts of the world did wolves play europa league in the season I actually would have to look that up. I don't Running know. loads are usually the thing to go. They've got a new coach, which means there's novel training coming in. There's a lot going on. You can't criticize the program until you know the program. And none of us know what's going on at Wolves, good, bad, or indifferent. So even if it's, even if you are sitting here liable to go, I could fix that. Unless you know the intricacies of the program and the environment. That's not how it works. All right. Next question. And we're going to stick with football. A little bit of EPL, but we're going around the world for this one. Best moves of the football transfer window. Jazz, your favourite. Best moves. Um, PSG's window has been unreal. <laughs> I mean, they've got a ton of money, but picking up Sergio Ramos, Ginny Wijnaldum, Hakimi, Messi. And I can't believe Donnarumma. you left Messi for the last Donnarumma, and they just signed um, the Portuguese left-back from Sporting. Oh, Nuno Mendes. Yeah, who's an absolute wonder kid. How can you beat that window? That paid is unreal. a fee for one of them. Smart business. Like, I've never seen anything like it. I'm a Man U supporter, so we got Ronaldo back. That's all I care I about. I don't know where your team, who your team plays up front, because unless, like, don't get me wrong, it's been an unreal window at Man United, but I think they're going to play seven up front. Like, play him as a goalkeeper, I don't care. I just want him <laughs> on the field. Getting rid of down Dan James at 30 million was a pretty good move, though. Yeah, if I was Leeds, I'd be asking real questions about that. But um, Arsenal, I'm really wondering where 130 million pound went, but. Well, that leads us on to the last question for today. What are the biggest flops of the transfer window? Barcelona. Barcelona are absolute shambles. It's honestly beyond me how... What's his name? What's the bloke that went out? The president? Bartomeu? Yeah. How... If that's not criminal negligence, I don't know what is. He took over a team that won a treble and just drove it into the ground. Before you continue to defeat I'm sorry for what Adam's about to say. He's going to go on a rant for this one. Like, Barcelona have had this coming for years, the way they behave good but like how can you take a team in that position and end up here how does that happen Neymar Messi Suarez and now like Reese could have got, took Barcelona over and got, not ended up here Memphis Depay Luca <laughs> de Jong and Martin Braithwaite as your front three <laughs> Luca de Jong and Martin Braithwaite like, like the the well-known Middlesbrough and Newcastle has-beens what are the days where Messi Henri and Eto were up front bro and then Messi Neymar and Suarez and like all these famous forward players we've gone from Johan Cruyff to Luke de Jong that's rough I'd hate to be a Barca fan but I'd love to see it (laughs) (laughs) Viva Atleti
I've ha- I hate to be an Arsenal fan just in general at the moment. Sorry, Josh. Dharma's hurting. That sucks. Yeah, it's he's, a- good. he's got to stop staying up at night. He's losing sleep over a team that just doesn't want to give him anything back. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most one-sided, hurtful, toxic relationship I've ever seen between them. And, and he keeps club. going back. Yeah, he can't help himself. And to see all other big clubs making... Pretty good acquisitions. Man City had a good window. They Chelsea spent twenty five million pound on a goalkeeper to put on the bench. Who they signed? Aaron Ramsdale. Who is a good oh, goalkeeper? Yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong, but you spent twenty five million pound in an era when nobody's got any money. Chelsea, Chelsea. have the option to sign Saul permanent for thirty three million, and you spent twenty five on Aaron Ramsdale. I can't remember the name, but a few years ago, who did Chelsea sign a goalkeeper who was a record deal? Kepa. Kepa, yeah. Risa Balaga. Yeah, that was a flop. Yeah, 100%. that was And that was a lot of money. Do you remember how much that was? But at least he started. Like, it flopped. He, he's still the world record goalkeeper. I'm fairly 80, confident. 80 million? God. Something like that. But Liverpool broke the trend with goalkeeper prices when they bought Allison. It's just Allison deserved that tag where Kepa... Chelsea allowed themselves into a bad position where they let go of Courtois too late in the window and then had to panic by. And Bilbao are pretty stiff in the transfer market. And we're like, we know you're short, so 80 million or take a hike. And Chelsea were like... Who who will uh, Chelsea play in the midfield? Jorginho, Kante? I think it depends who they're playing against. Kante's undroppable if he's fit. But then the rest is fairly fluid when you've got Jorginho, Kovacic. Sorry if I said that wrong, Mickey. Um, Saul, know, okay. Saul now. Yeah. That, that's ridiculous. Loftus-Cheek. Pulisic on the left, yeah. base him out on the right, and Lukaku. See, I wonder if Mount ends up playing centre midfield in time as well. Now that they've got Timo Werner probably playing on the left and Pulisic playing on the right, would you start Timo Werner over those three though? Pulisic, Mount, and Lukaku. I think it depends who you're playing against. Because if so you're playing Havertz as well, if you're gonna, oh, Havertz is there as well. So if you're dominating possession and Mount's playing midfield, but against the, I think if they're playing Liverpool or something, Mount's probably up front. When's the Manchester derby? I'd have to look it up. I'm excited for that. That'd be a good game. Can't believe Manchester United signed Ronaldo just to finish fourth. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is going to bite you from some corners of our membership if that doesn't happen. Yeah. Oh god, we've got to win a title soon. Maybe we need to Alex back. Is he? Is he still going around? He's two hundred and seven years old, but he's still around. He's so. still the most competent manager ever to fit into Manchester United. Oh, he's at the wheel. Manchester <laughs> <laughs> United <at> back. <laughs> Oh, man. On that note, I think we've talked enough football. Sorry if we hurt anyone's feelings. Reese, you're more than welcome to chirp in next time. Uh, I'd like to take this apo- it's just opportunity to apologise to nobody for that. Go sports. <laughs> up, up the sportsman. If you guys enjoyed this sort of content, we'll be make sure to get out a few more. And as always, give it a share if you found anything valuable from it. We'll see you on the next episode, guys. Bye, guys.